Turn our attention now, if you have your Bibles, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be wrapping up this morning uh, our four-week series entitled, How We Ought to Give. And I want to remind you of a couple of things, or bring back to attention a couple of things that uh, I laid before you in week one. Um, and that is one of the reasons that we did this series um, is because we want to protect our hearts uh, as individuals, uh, but also as a church, our collective heart, uh, from sin. We don't want to sin. And we don't want to sin by not talking about money at all, because that's sinful. Uh, money, Christ, Jesus, in his ministry on earth, spoke about money a lot, a lot more than we're comfortable with, Right? Um, but money is an indicator of the heart, and we're going to look at that a little bit deeper this morning. And the other way that we don't want to sin, we want to find a balance from one end of the spectrum, which is not talking about money at all, and not viewing money as, a, uh, as, a, as an issue uh, for discipleship. And then the other side of that is that we talk about it too much. Uh, and, and, we, and we just kind of constantly beg and plead uh, and cry and, and threaten uh, closing the doors of the building um, if money doesn't come in, right? And we don't want to, we definitely don't want to sin by putting out this idea that the more you give, the more godly you are. So we've, hoped, we've, we've tried to find a balance in the middle, which is always where health is, right, is in a balance, uh, between those two extremes of not talking about money at all, not viewing it as discipleship, but yet also not counting money too, or talking about money too much. And we tried to do this by providing a framework for giving that was, if, I, if you remember, I told you two things. We want a framework for giving that is, one, God-honoring. We want to honor God with our giving, and not just with our giving, but with all of our stewardship of our finances, but we also see this series as a, as a step in maturity, that we would all grow up into Christ. And so we also wanted it to be heart-challenging. Uh, it's a good thing to have our hearts challenged. It's, it's, it's a healthy thing. Because here's the thing. If we are to um, be Christ-like and we are to continually be conformed or transformed more and more into the image of Christ, then that means that we're going to have to constantly be challenged. Without challenge, there's no transformation because we sit where we're at. We're happy with where we're at. We say, nope, I give enough, I serve enough, I'm good enough, whatever it is. And we, we build this kind of this, this argument or this fortress of the things that we have done. And then we sit on top of it and declare that I'm good, I'm taken care of. So we want to honor God and we want to challenge our hearts. And so we've, we've built this framework by saying that the first week that we ought to give worshipfully. And we defined worship as gi- or giving worshipfully as giving our money as an act of giving ourselves to God. So we see our, our finances and we see the giving uh, that we do to the church and, and to, to needs outside of the church. We see it um, not just as an act of giving and helping somebody else, but we see it as an act of giving ourselves to God. Uh, the next thing we talked about was joyfully, that we ought to give joyfully, and that was that, the, that we should have a deep delight in giving for the work of God. And so when we give, we're not to give reluctantly. We're not to be coerced into giving, but we should give joyfully, knowing that the, that the, that the, thing that, that the things that our money goes towards um, produce good things. 
It's, it's, it's advancing the kingdom. It's, it's allowing the gospel to be proclaimed and, and working so that people receive the gospel and, and then working so that the, God's kingdom is, is advanced and, and moved forward. And then last week we saw that we ought to give generously. And most of us, when we hear the word generous, we think that like there's this dollar amount that comes into our mind or maybe it's a percentage that comes into your mind. But we defined generous last week as a readiness to give and not second-guess our giving. So we should be generous. It means we should be ready to give. And once we give, we shouldn't second-guess or regret that giving because we realize, oh, I could have had this instead, or that money could have gone here. Or if I, like, you guys ever done this? Like, you've, maybe you've given something, and then, like, the next day or within the next week, like, a big need arises, your car breaks down, the air conditioner goes out in the middle of something, and, like, if only I wouldn't, right? If only I wouldn't have given. But that's not the way God calls us to give. And so this morning, we're going to end our series by looking at how we ought to give sacrificially. We ought to give sacrificially. We ought to give worshipfully. We ought to give generously. We ought to give joyfully. And lastly, we ought to give uh, sacrificially. And there is, listen, there is this, John and I had this interesting conversation that there is this truth that all of giving is sacrifice, right? Right? We could say that because the reality is, is any money I put over here, I don't have to go spend somewhere else. So whether it be, uh, actually all of our spending, if you look at it, is some form of sacrifice. If I buy a car and have a car payment, then I don't have that money I spend on the car to go eat out every night, whatever it is. But what I want us to do is I want us to um, dig a little bit more into this morning of what we mean by sacrificially. I want to lay that out for you. Um, so that we have a, a heart of sacrifice when we give. That it's a God-honoring view of sacrifice. That it's a heart-challenging view of sacrifice. And so let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7 together. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that... We urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And these verses have been our text for the entire series. Um, And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at these verses, and we'll hone in on it a little bit in a moment. Um, But... As we look at how we ought to give sacrificially, but first I want to talk a moment about sacrifice. And that in this slide is like, have any of you ever received a gift where you recognized the sacrifice that was taken by the giver? You received a gift, and you're like, you know what? This means so much to me. Not necessarily because of what it is but because I know that it wasn't easy for you to give this gift or it wasn't easy for you to spend the money or something along those lines. Like there is a deep blessing. and In fact, there is actually a deep sense with 
the, the idea of sacrifice resonates deeply with us. This should be especially true for those who are Christians, for those who claim to follow Christ and profess the birth and the sinless life and the death, the resurrection, ascension, and one day return of Jesus as our only means to be reconciled to God. You see, our faith is one that is built upon this idea of sacrifice. But even outside the realm of Christianity, it's something that resonates with the human heart. Hollywood has made an incredible amount of money portraying the heroism of sacrifice. It's not a good story if there's not a hero who doesn't give himself, right, for a good cause and does not take into account the cost. The one that immediately came to mind, and I'm dating myself here, but is that movie Armageddon. Like that was a big movie for its day. And the sacrifice of the end of Bruce Willis's character, who is, you know, the big, rough, tough, roughneck, and he's Bruce Willis, so you go into the movie thinking he's never going to die because Bruce Willis never dies, um, no matter, um, right, no matter the bad guy. Um, and so then they, they, they go up to, the, I think it was a, a, an asteroid or something that was headed to Earth, and they're going to they're gonna be the heroes because they're going to drill a hole in the middle of this thing, part it into two, so that instead of impacting the Earth, it'll just shoot off to the side, right? Very realistic. <laughs> America loved this movie. And at the end, of course, what happens in all of these storylines? There's, there's a problem that arises that says somebody's not making out of here alive. And so in this story, there's, there's two men who are going to be the heroes and fight for the sacrifice. And it just so happens that these two men uh, have a special relationship with the same girl. One is her dad. Right, and one is her boyfriend. And so Bruce Willis, being the good dad, decides that he is going to make it to where this guy makes it back to take care of his daughter because he loves her, and Bruce Willis will give his life to save all of humanity. And so as, you, as, we, as we read books and as we watch movies especially, like there is a sense which Hollywood understands that sacrifice means something to us. It's real. It stirs the emotions. It, it stirs the affections. But the reality also is, is that as we talk about that, we like the idea of sacrifice when it's out away from us or when we're the recipient of sacrifice. When we begin to talk about the application of sacrifice or the call to sacrifice, us individually or us corporately, our entire view and mood changes. I could already see the difference in your faces. See, we love to be the one that receives the gift of sacrifice. We love to be the one that gets to take advantage of what is given. But we struggle. Our heart struggles deeply with being the one that sacrifices so that someone else could benefit. But the life, this should not be true of the life of a Christian. You see, our, again, our, our faith, our, our only chance for reconciliation to God, our entire, um, the outcome of, our, of, of, of eternity for a Christian is based on sacrifice. 
Sacrifice should be something that not only do we embrace and love because we do get to receive that, but because we have received the deep sacrifice of God Almighty, we should be motivated to then sacrifice for others. Now here's the warning about today's message, that this topic this morning will uncover the idols of our hearts more drastically and painfully than any of the other topics that we've covered. In fact, some of you sitting in here have probably already thought of the verses where Jesus says, I don't desire sacrifice, I desire mercy. Or maybe the Old Testament story where Saul comes down to Samuel and gets on to him because the word of the Lord says, don't I desire obedience and not sacrifice. And so our, our human heart and our flesh is already beginning to fight this idea of sacrifice. And that's okay. Wrestle with that. As I told you last week, the struggle to give is a good struggle. Because it means you're being confronted with truth and you're battling through to believe it. And so by God's grace, our hope is that we do come to a place where we believe it. So this morning, I want us to follow the same pattern that I followed in all the other messages, which is we're going to define what we mean by, by the topic, by sacrifice. We're going to look at the uniqueness of sacrifice this morning, um, and then we'll look at some practical ways how we can give sacrificially. And so the first thing, what is sacrifice? Look with me at chapter 8, verse 3 again. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. So what does that mean? That means that they... They, they gave in what was in accordance or, or, or in, um, in line or in a, in, a, in a sensible percentage, if you will, of what they had. Okay? So for us, what this means is very sensibly as if, a, as if somebody walks up to you while you're pumping gas and says, hey, do you have change? And you take some change out of your pocket and you give it to them. You're giving to them according to your means. Right? There's not... Although, although the truth is, by giving that money to them, you don't have that money to spend on something else. Yes, that is true. But in reality, you really don't go without something in order to hand that handful of change to that person asking for it. Does that make sense? And this is what he's saying. So they gave according to their means. But now look as he continues in verse 3. He says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So there was a sense to where they took the change out of their pocket and they gave it to the person in need. But then Paul says also that then they went another step further. So not only did they give out of their means what they readily had available, what wouldn't typically be called sacrifice. We would kind of maybe even term that as being a generous giver. They were ready to give and they would give that handful of change without worrying about the soda that it could have bought. But then... They also gave according to what they didn't have. So what that is, is is think about with me in Acts chapter 2. This is the New Testament Christians, one of their favorite pictures in all of Scripture, right? There's this beautiful picture in Acts chapter 2 of the church. It's a picture of the church and what it it describes. Now listen, Acts chapter 2 is not a prescriptive text. And what I mean by that is, is there's two types of texts. When you read Scripture and you're doing your personal devotion or you're struggling or you're wanting to learn or you're teaching, you have to understand that there's two types of text: a prescriptive text or a descriptive text. And what that means is, is this text prescribing something the way a doctor prescribes you a medication, saying, here, take this, do this, okay? Or is it a descriptive text where it's describing what's going on? 
Acts chapter 2 is a descriptive text. It is describing the way the early church responded to the sending of the Holy Spirit that illuminated their hearts to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in Acts chapter 2, what we see is this, this group of believers that took what they had and they willingly and freely sold it so that the needs of everybody in their church were met. It's not prescriptive. What, what it's not saying is it's not saying that you need to go sell everything that you have so that other people's needs are met. It's not telling you that you have to do that. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute as to why that is. But it's simply saying that this was the natural res, uh, outworking of the work of the Spirit in their lives. This was a natural outworking of understanding of the great gift that they had been given had motivated them to such a degree that they were willing to sell their stuff so that the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ could be met. And this is what he says here in verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Now it goes on, and it ends that verse, and it says, of their own accord. They were not coerced. They did not come to a church gathering like this and the pastor stood up front and gave this great message and then they passed the offering plate and then they counted it and they said, that's not enough, pass it again. There was no coercion. Think back to the Old Testament when they were building of the temple and Moses called for the people to give, to, to give of, their, of, their, of their, their possessions so they could build the temple. Moses called out to all the people. And it tells us that the people were so moved by God's grace and redemption on their hearts that they had given so much stuff that Moses had to tell them, stop. That's enough. We don't need any more. That's pretty amazing. But they were giving according to their own heart. They weren't coerced. They weren't instructed to give that much. They were simply told to give. Now, verse 9. Let's look at verse 9 for a moment. Because verse 9 in, in 2 Corinthians is, is, is the foundation that all of this giving is based upon. This is why reading Paul is so tremendous. You don't have to go very far to find the gospel. You don't have to go very far to say, Oh, that's how what Jesus did motivates what you're calling me to do. How I'm supposed to respond. Verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you his poverty might become rich. John chapter 10, Jesus says, Nobody takes my life. Nobody takes my life from me. But I freely give it. And you see, this is what we have to understand as we're working towards our definition of what is sacrifice. Is that sacrifice isn't something that is demanded of you. Sacrifice isn't something that you're coerced or even manipulated into doing. But as we see in verse 3, that they did it on their own accord. As we see with the life of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that he did it on his own. He gave it. Nobody took it. That the reality is a part of sacrifice is that it's an act of giving. It's not, just, it's not just a doing what you're told to do. 
Here's what John Piper says about sacrifice. He says, There is built into the Christian faith an inner impulse by the Holy Spirit through the gospel to make sacrifices so that others have their needs met. And there is no such impulse built into human nature or the human heart apart from God's grace. It is so vital that this kind of love and mercy and sacrifice be free from uncoerced, be free and uncoerced, that it is laid down as a principle by Paul in 2 Corinthians and by Peter in 1 Peter. Now, what he's saying, what was laid down as a principle? The fact that you have to give sacrificially? No, in fact, it's the opposite. The principle in 2 Corinthians as well as 1 Peter is that giving sacrificially, the principle is that you don't coerce sacrificial giving. The principle is that sacrificial giving has to be free. It has to be an act of the heart or the will. And in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul goes on to write, he says, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Give according to what you've set aside in your heart. Webster's Dictionary defines sacrifice as this, the act of giving up something that you want to keep, something that you want to keep, especially in order to get or do something else to help someone. So then what is Sacrifice. This is how we're going to define sacrifice. Sacrifice is God-empowered, willing denial of non-life essentials, of non-life essential wants, so that the need of another will be met. Okay, it's a little... That's the best I could do. (laughs) It started out way longer than that. (laughs) Sacrifice, Christian sacrifice, sacrifice that is... Free from coercion is God-empowered, willing denial of non-life essential wants so that the need of another will be met. So see, sacrifice practically, let me, let me kind of tell you how Jesus describes sacrifice in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, that, that, that portion of Jesus' uh, uh, sermon in the Sermon on the Mount is a, is a working definition or an outworking, if you will, of sacrifice. Sacrifice is a God-empowered, you cannot sacrifice freely unless God has empowered you to do so. Because here's what happened. Our human, I I fully agree with what John Piper said, that it is not natural to the common man. It is not natural to the unborn again person. Because although we might sacrifice in that, we're laying aside something so that we can give, it's always selfish when we do that outside of Christ. We always have an end in mind. We always calculate how... I, 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 might, I might deny myself here, but it's so that I can gain bigger down the road. It's kind of the, the 401k mentality. Is I'm going to have less of my paychecks today, so 30 years from now I can have a really cush retirement. That's, that's, that's what sacrifice looks like outside of God's empowering. So it's God-empowered. It is from God's Spirit, and it is a willing, or, or the, that's the idea... The word willing is is presenting the idea that it is free. It's uncoerced. 
There's no obligation. But I am willing to deny non-life essential wants. What is non-life essential wants? Just about everything we call a need. Just about everything we look at or marketing um, campaigns tell us that we have to have. Non-life essential wants so that the need of another will be met. Now listen, here's a disclaimer. We are not talking about saving people with our sacrifice. We all understand that, right? Our sacrifice will bring salvation about for no one. No one. Because it cannot. Our sacrifice, no matter what it is, no matter the cost, is insufficient to regenerate a lost, dead human soul. And we will never sacrifice to the degree that Christ did. Not only because He gave us His all, but because of what His all accomplished. Us giving our all does not accomplish the same that Christ giving His all did accomplish. My giving worshipfully, joyfully, generously, and even sacrificially will not save you. Indeed, it cannot save you. Christ's gift of His sinless life, death, resurrection... And the sending of His Spirit is what saves. But this doesn't mean that we don't give. This doesn't mean that we don't give sacrificially. We are called to give sacrificially. We're called to give generously, joyfully, worshipfully. And what our giving does do is it allows the work of the kingdom to go forward. It allows the gospel to be proclaimed publicly. Listen, part of the reasons we gather and preach on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, the reason that all churches do is because a very real function of sermons and the life of a church is to constantly remind us that the world is different, the world hates us, Christianity shouldn't look like what the world says it looks like. Like, we need this. As a church, we need a place to gather. As a church, we need a place where anyone is free to come. We've never denied that. We just don't believe that should be the extent of our mission as a church. We also don't believe that should be the wholehearted focus of our mission as a church. But we believe it. We believe that we need to be reminded often that Christ is better. That He has a different way. That the way that the world calls us to live is not the narrow way that Christ calls us to follow. We have to be reminded that, that the words that the Scripture use can't always be interpreted by culture. Because they're going to tell you sacrifice means something different than what God tells us it is. They're going to tell us that generous is something different than what Scripture tells us it is. The world's going to tell us that what matters in life is the pursuit of happiness. But God tells us that the pursuit of happiness only ends in futility. There are so much more things to value in life than happiness. You see, what we're talking about is a radical and counterintuitive view of money. And what that means, counterintuitive, simply means it's not natural to the human mind, it's not natural to our fleshly bodies. 
to willingly give up something that I can have, I can enjoy, something I deserve, something I've earned, something I've worked hard for, so that your needs can be met? Well, I'll tell you what, your needs would be met if you manage your money better. I'll tell you what, your needs would be met if you just worked harder. I'll tell you what, your needs would be met if you just gave more. That's not sacrifice. That's what the world would tell us. Christ has every right to say every single one of those things to us about our salvation. But he didn't. In grace, he acted that we would be saved. So that's what sacrifice is. Now, secondly, I want us to look at the balance of sacrifice. Because here's what's going to happen. There's two types of people in this room. Don't you love how everything can be summed up as in two types of people in the world? It doesn't matter what we're talking about. There's two types of people. Beatle fans or Elvis fans? Right? Football fans or Raider fans? You like that one. That was good. There are people who will take the call to sacrifice to an ungodly extreme. Or there are people in here who will reject sacrifice as godliness. Okay? So some people in here are going to hear, yes, the call to sacrifice. I'm getting rid of everything because that is what God has called me to do. And, and, and so we take it to an ungodly sacrifice, to an ungodly extent, right? Or there's those of us who says, God hasn't called me to give sacrificially. And so we don't view a heart of sacrificial giving as godliness, Chapter 8, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. And this is the balance that we need to have when we give sacrificially. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay? So this is where, remember how when we just define sacrifice, that it is the willing, is a God-empowered, willing self-denial of non-life essential wants so that the needs of others can be met. Do you see how I changed the word from wants to needs? That's important. Obedient sacrifice is denying the unnecessary wants in life. It is not going without the necessities of life. What good does it do if you sell all you have and become homeless so a homeless person can have a house? Right? What what good does it do to go out and feed a stranger and sell everything you have to feed as many people as you have, therefore making yourself hungry? And I'm not talking like I haven't eaten since breakfast hungry. I'm talking like a lifestyle of not being able to properly uh, nourish your body for life and health. You see, we're not called to give to the point where we are destitute. That's not godly, obedient sacrifice. That's why I want to work hard this morning at making the distinction between wants and needs. What do you need to survive? Food? Water, clothing, we, we could even go as far to say a, a, a roof over your head, right? Who's got the courage to take it a step further? I don't. 
Now, this is not to demonize and say that having material things is sinful because that's not what we're talking about. But what is your most prized material possession? Is it your home, your car, maybe a trailer, camping trailer for those that like to camp? Maybe it's something that has to do with your hobby. What if a need arose and you could meet that need by getting rid of your most prized possession? Could you do it? Would you do it? Would you, would you consider it? Or do you simply look at the means you have available to see whether or not you can meet that need? You see, oh, giving sacrificially takes into account everything that we have so that not only are we giving by our means, as it said in verse 3, but we're also giving beyond our means. And I know that this is completely, I just told you this was counterintuitive and countercultural. I get it. This isn't popular. This isn't how we build churches in America. In fact, you know how we build churches in America? By telling you the exact opposite. Love God right and he'll give you all the money you could ever handle. You'll be healthier than you've ever been and you'll be happy. That's how we build our churches in America. So much so that a lot of Christians in foreign countries are praying for great persecution upon the American church so that we would be purified and we would begin to value not health, wealth, or prosperity, that we would begin to value Jesus Christ, our Savior, and place our value on Him. But you see, God does not call us to abandon one command He has given in order to fulfill another. You see, we are to be responsible citizens. That's how we love our city. That's how we love our state and our country. We don't take from it. We work hard, knowing that our work provides a service, knowing that our work allows us to care for ourselves and our family so that the government and other people don't have to do that. God doesn't call us to abandon that command and that responsibility and that right so that we can go feed homeless people. But what He does call us to do is abandon our love for materialism our addiction to materialism so that the needs of others could be met. You see, sacrifice is a challenge of the heart. Have you noticed that in all of these that we've gone after the heart issues associated with all this? Like this isn't just one, two, three years, how you give and please God, but it's your heart in it. Where, you, where is your treasure? As Christ said in John, uh, Matthew chapter 6 we just read. Is your treasure on earth? Is your treasure up in the mountains? In your trailer? While everyone else is in a tent? (laughs) Where's your treasure? Is it somewhere on earth? No matter where it is on earth, where moss and rust will destroy, thieves will break in and steal, or is it in heaven? Where Christ is firmly seated in authority, where he cannot be destroyed. He cannot decay. He's eternal. Now, third, practically, let's move to lastly here. How can we sacrifice? Well, first, we value heaven above earth. It's a hard issue. And this is the the hard part. I, I can't stand up here and just tell you to value heaven more than earth. Because either you think you're doing really good at it and you'll become self-righteous and not need the Holy Spirit to help you, 
or you'll get burned out and you'll give up because you realize you don't possess the power in your own self to do it. This is where faith is. Those, do you know that part of have, walking in faith is realizing that you don't have the faith to believe what you need to believe or do what you need to do, and yet asking God to give it to you, believing that he wants you to get, have it? You with me? Does that make sense? No. Okay. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? It takes faith. What is faith? Faith is a deep-rooted belief in something that alters the course of your life. Christianity is about faith. We believe in Christ and what he has done so much that we've put all of our, mar- all of our mar- we've gone all in at the poker table, right? Like this is what we are basing everything on. This is our only message, Cross- Christ and him crucified. We don't always have the faith needed to believe that. We most definitely don't always live our lives and spend our money and treat one another in a way that says we believe that. Okay? So in that moment, how do you please God? You please God by asking Him to give you the faith you need to believe that. You please God by saying, I don't have the faith to believe this. I don't have the faith. I know that it's right, but my heart fights against it. I struggle to do it. God, give me the faith. We sing that song. It's my favorite song that we sing right now. Um, Jesus is better. And it's not, yes, Jesus is better. I love that part. But it's because of what follows that. Make my heart believe. My heart doesn't believe that Jesus is better. All the time. My heart doesn't believe that Jesus is better than all my sorrows. My heart doesn't believe that Jesus is better than all of my victories. My heart often doesn't believe that Jesus is better than my material possessions. But God, make my heart believe. Does God want you to believe that? Yes. Should have been a resounding yes. So as you ask for faith to believe, he will give you the faith you need to believe. This is praying according to his will. We know that he wants us to believe. He knows that it's hard for us to believe. He knows that outside of his intervening in our lives, we won't believe. Ask him to help you believe. Ask him to move your heart to where you treasure heaven and Christ seated in all of his glory above anything on earth. Whether it be a person, whether it be a hobby, whether it be a possession. Value heaven above earth. Second, we have to be honest about the difference between needs and wants. We have to be honest. And not only do we have to be honest about it with ourselves, we have to, we have to allow one another. This is, this is why being um, a, a member of a church, one of the reasons, is so vital, is by doing that, what you're saying is you're saying, I, I am joining this, this, this family and I'm giving you permission to speak into my life so that God is glorified and I grow into the image of Christ. What that practically means is you have to be okay with somebody challenging what you call a need. Now, it has to be challenged in a godly, loving way, absolutely. 
But even if it isn't presented in the kindest, lovingest way, doesn't take the truth away from what was presented to you. You can't just run and say, well, they were a jerk about it, so I don't, have to, I don't even have to think about it. It's done. Like, that's, that's not it. But we have to be honest about our needs versus wants. And the third thing is we have to live below our means. Not at our means, below our means. You see, again, let me remind you that this series isn't, designed, isn't designed excuse me, to increase the income of our church or get everybody to give a certain dollar amount. But it was designed to challenge our hearts and our selfish way of living. It's designed to expose how culture has crept into our hearts and allowed us to define the way we give and to define money by its standards rather than by God's standards. The world says live at your means. And what it means by that is if you can afford the monthly payment, then you can afford it. No matter what it is. You see, we always want to stretch ourselves and buy what will take us to our limits. When we do that, although by the world standard that is good, it doesn't allow us to give worshipfully, generously, joyfully, and sacrificially. You see, part of the DNA of being a Christian is this idea of rearranging your entire life around the gospel of Jesus Christ, what, what Christ has done for you so that others would receive that same gift. If we are constantly maxed out in, in, our, in debt up to our ears and, and basing everything we purchase on, whether or not uh, I can afford it on a monthly ongoing basis, no matter where it puts me at, we're too in love with the world's possessions. It's what it says. What it says. But we should live below our means. That's the only way that we can give generously. We can be ready to give by living below our means. We can give joyfully. We can take deep delight in giving towards the work of the kingdom if we live below our means. And we could give sacrificially. We could have a God given willingness to deny our present wants, non-essential wants, so that the needs of others could be met. Living below our means allows us and positions us to give the way that we ought to give. If you'll stand with me, we'll pray. God, I pray that as we um, move back um, into a couple of songs now, I pray that the goodness and the graciousness of your care for us as our Father would be illuminated in our hearts and our minds. I pray, God, that you would help us to turn God, from loving the world and all that it offers. I pray, God, that this sermon series really would be 
a marked step of maturity in the life of us as, as individual disciples and in the life of us as a disciple-making church. I pray, God, that we would be marked by generous, joyful, worshipful, and sacrificial giving so that the world would come to see your goodness. I pray, God, that you would make our hearts believe that Jesus is better. That we would believe it to such an extent, God, that we would be laying up treasures in heaven that are eternal and secure rather than laying up treasures here on earth. I pray, God, that you would help and make our hearts believe.